Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap on a Thursday evening. I'm Brad Brown. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And a fantastic show lined up for you uh, this evening. We'll touch base with uh, former gold medalist in the 4x100m sprint uh, in Edmonton at the World Championships back in 2001. Matthew Quinn will chat a little bit about uh, the Purple Pants of South African sprinting he's going through at the moment. Another fantastic, fantastic uh, run today from uh, one of the young South Africans equaling the South African 100m record. We'll also head to France where stage 6 of the Tour de France has just concluded and we'll chat to the team principal of Team MTN Quebec to find out exactly how things are progressing Progressing a week after we last spoke to him uh, on the tour as well. We'll get the latest from Chris Bowers at Wimbledon where it is ladies semi-finals day today and uh, we'll find out exactly what happened in both those semi-finals. I can tell you that the finalists have been concluded. One of those semis, very, very one-sided. But let's start with stories making news headlines today. The Premier Soccer League have pulled the plug on the proposed sale of Mpumalanga Black Aces Premiership status to relegated Amazulu. The Premier Soccer League Executive Committee met yesterday to discuss the application and following those deliberations, the PSL have dismissed the application. If approved, Usutu would have paid Black Aces 82 million rand to secure their rights to play next season's APSA Premiership. The deal would have seen Aces then ply their trade in the National First Division. In other football news, looking uh, at uh, what's happening in the PSL, the PSL DRC have set a date in August for Kaiser Chiefs and Bloom Celtics to resolve the matter surrounding the Camaldine abroad transfer. The Togolese striker was unveiled by Chiefs as a new signing last month, but since Celtic remain adamant that abroad is their player and that he has signed a three-year pre-contract with them before joining Chiefs. Last week, Chiefs failed to pitch up for their meeting in order to try and resolve the matter, but PSL communication officer Lux September said the absence was complete or the attendance rather was completely optional. In news out of FIFA, Bafana Bafana have dropped one place in the latest rankings. They now sit at 70th in the world rankings. Argentina have moved up two into first. And staying with news from FIFA, executive committee member Chuck Blazer has been banned from all football activity for life. The Proteas begin their uh, one-day international series against Bangladesh tomorrow. We'll hear more from the stand-in captain of the Proteas, Hashim Amla, before the end of this evening's show as well. Looking at some cricket news, day two of the Ashes test taking place in Cardiff today. And a little bit earlier on today, England were bowled out for 430. In reply, Australia are currently 223 for the loss of four. It was uh, an agonizingly close fall for Chris Rod. Uh, ended up on 95, five runs short of what would have been a fantastic, fantastic century. And uh, as it stands, the match means Australia trails by 211 runs with six wickets remaining. So that one very, very evenly poised. In other cricket news, New Zealand announced their squad that will tour South Africa and Zimbabwe next month. The Black Caps will be without Brendan McCullum and Martin Guptill, who, who have been rested, as well as Trent Bolt and Corey Anderson, who are out injured. The South African 100-meter record books have been rewritten once again. Akani Sambini claimed gold at the World Student Games in South Korea earlier today when he ran a time of 9.97, equaling Henrico Brainke's essay record that was set on Sunday. Speaking after his victory today in South Korea, Sambini 
was obviously delighted. I knew that I wasn't going to get out the blocks first, you know, because I'm not such a fast starter. I'm the average starter, but once I get out of my acceleration phase and into my maximum speed phase, then I can take on anybody, you know. And I believe in, in um, I believe in my last phase a lot, so I'm pretty happy with it. And I'm just glad that, you know, everything came together and I got me the medal. Finally, in European golf tour action, Thorbjorn Olsen leads uh, the Scottish Open. He's on seven under. He shot an opening round 63 today. has a two-stroke advantage over the chasing pack. Seven players on five under, including England's Matthew Nixon and the USA's Jimmy Walker, as far as the South Africans in the field go. Uh, sitting currently on one under par is Brandon Grace and uh, Yaku van Sale. They are six strokes off the lead. Time now to head to London. Next, here on SAFM Sports Special. SAFM Sports Wrap. Make that sports wrap. Chris Bowers joins us now from South West London. It was ladies' semi-final day today, and I think the matchup everyone was really looking forward to was the second of the semis, and I don't want to say it turned into a bit of a, a damn squib, but it was very one-sided. Yes, and the score reads Serena Williams beating Maria Sharapova 6-2-6-4, but that scoreline flatters Sharapova. She, she won the first game, but then she lost the next five uh, as she seems to have no answer to Serena Williams' power and accuracy. Um, then, in the second set, Charapova led 2-1 and also looks like she was about the man to come back, but Serena Williams railed off four straight games and eventually ended up as uh, 6-4 in the second set. But you never got the impression that Serena was in any way really troubled. And uh, this is worrying for Sharapova. She beat Serena Williams in the final here in 2004. She beat her again. Uh, later that year, and haven't beaten her since November '04. This is their 15th match, and uh, you know, it's a session that Serena has won. And you know, uh, it's easy for me from a distance to say, why didn't she do something different? But if you've played the same way 15 times and lost, uh, surely you do something different. I don't know what Maria can do that's different, but certainly she didn't seem to try anything different today, and if she did, it didn't work. Chris, how much of that is psychological? It's been a while. You, you mentioned 2004, it's over a decade. Uh, she, she must be, be thinking, what can I do? It's been so long, she's forgotten what it's like to be Serena Williams. Yes, I think it is a large part psychological, but then a lot of it is. I think, you know, there are some players, we forget the tennis is about matchups. It's not the, you know, individual sports. In golf, for example, you're basically playing the course. Yes, you can have a player breathing down your neck in terms of the uh, overall score. But, you know, in tennis, you play as well as your opponent lets you. Or, uh, and we've noticed this with someone like um, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, where Nadal has won more than, um, uh, you know, twice as many as Federer has uh, of, the, of their matches. You see then Federer completely crushing Andy Roddick when Roddick was the world number two, you know, by quite a way, because Roddick's game suited Federer. And in many ways, Sharapova's game suits Serena Williams. But that's why I say surely Sharapova has to do something different. She, you know, it, 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 it's a, um, a paradox about great players in all sports. The great champions are stubborn by definition. They wouldn't be champions without being stubborn. But that stubbornness can sometimes prevent them from doing something a bit different. Even if doing something a bit different involves doing something that's strange to them, like Sharapova going to the net a lot, or fighting her backhand, or, you know, throwing in some drop shots and then a lob or whatever. Anything just to break up the rhythm, but that stubbornness sometimes prevents it from happening. The other semi-final was a, a lot closer. It uh, ended up going the distance, but it was—I uh, wouldn't say the favourite. It was uh, Radvanska was the favourite, obviously going into it higher seeded. But a uh, fantastic matchup, and uh, there will be someone who's playing their first Grand Slam final on Sunday, uh, Saturday. 
Yes, Gabini Muguruza. I mean, um, I've been aware of her for a couple of years, but she really came to prominence when she beat Serena Williams at the French Open last year, crushed her in the second round, 6-2-6-2. I d- didn't really follow up, although made steady progress last year, but I was making the point on uh, PM Live this afternoon that there have been players who go straight to the top and then drop away again quite quickly. And we had two last year with Simona Halep and Eugenie Bouchard. Um, Muguruza's rise has been more gradual. My feeling is that she probably has to play a grand slam final before she can win one, and therefore I don't expect her to do much against Serena Williams. I think it would be a massive shock if Muguruza beat Williams. But then, you know, finals have a different energy to them because they are finals, and you just never know. Some players thrive, and Sharapova won her first uh, final at Wimbledon 11 years ago, and maybe Muguruza will just go out there completely relaxed and play some of her best tennis and shock Serena Williams. But uh, you know, it, it's a breakthrough for her. I think she'll be one of the big names of women's tennis over the next few years, but I'm not convinced yet that she's ready to win a major. I haven't followed the women's doubles too closely, but I was just flicking through the results there, Chris, and I, I see a bit of a blast from the past is doing pretty well. They actually top seed Martina Hingis uh, back back on the grass courts of Wimbledon, but she's playing a lot of doubles tennis and absolutely loving being back on the circuit. Absolutely, and she's actually formed a really good partnership this year. They are they are the world's leading women's doubles pair, Serena, uh, Serena, Martina Hingis and Sanya Mirza. Now, Sanya Mirza is an Indian player who, uh, at the age of 18, won the tournament in Hyderabad and is massive. Um, most listeners to SFM Sports Up will probably know how big cricket is in India. Well, Sanya Mirza is about the only sporting icon who can remotely... Uh, challenge the preeminence of cricket. She is massive in India, but she hasn't achieved a great deal. And now at the age of 30, she's teamed up with Martina Hingis, who's 34, and they are what this year's leading women's doubles pair. They're the top seeds here, they're going well here at Wimbledon, and it really has added something to uh, women's doubles, and it's fantastic to see. Yeah, absolutely. And then just briefly, we were talking about the men's singles uh, yesterday in the quarterfinals, and uh, we were we came very close to having the top four seeds uh, through, but it, it wasn't to be. That uh, Richard Gasquet-Stan Wawrinka match last night was epic. Well, I, well, people were asking me which of the four quarterfinals are you most interested in. I said, well, the Wawrinka-Gasquet one partly because of the elegance of their shot-making, but that proved to be the absolute cliffhanger. 11-9 in the fifth set for Richard Gasquet. And you never know, at 29, there's not a lot of time left for him, but he's promised so much, you know, from the age of 16 onwards. Uh, at fact, the age of nine, Gasquet was on France's tennis magazine on the cover as the future of French tennis. He's had tremendous expectation, weight of expectation to deal with over the years, but... You know, maybe at 29 he's finally willing to do that justice. I suspect Djokovic will take him in the first of tomorrow's uh, men's semi-finals um, because I think Djokovic is playing very well. Um, uh, having beaten Kevin Anderson, which was his big wobble, Djokovic looks very good against Chilich and I think will be too good for Gasquet. And then we have the match between um, Andy Murray and Roger Federer, which is uh, the one everyone here wants to see and could be a fantastic match. And I'm interested to know how the crowd will react because uh, they love Roger Federer here, um, but Murray's the home player. It's going to be a goodie. Looking forward to that. Chris Bounce, thank you so much uh, for that update from Wimbledon. We'll have more for you tomorrow morning on AM Live, and then we'll chat again tomorrow on PM Live as well as SAFM Sports Rep.
SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap, and uh, we've been chatting about it a bit over the last week or so here on SAFM, and it's incredible how these records just uh, keep on tumbling. It's, I think it's a case of success breeds success. I'm talking, obviously, uh, about uh, the bit of a purple patch we're running through with regards to South African sprinting, and I thought I'd uh, get a man on who's no stranger to the sport. He's a former sprinter himself. He was part of uh, the 2001 Edmonton World Championship 4x100 meter relay team uh, that won gold for South Africa. Matthew Quinn, Matt, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap. Uh, it's crazy. It took how long for South Africa to run under 10 seconds and now we seem to be doing it at will? We seem to be doing it every single time the athletes step on the track. I mean, that's absolutely insane. It, I mean, for ages that record was stuck at 10 or 6. That was that magical marker. We couldn't even, I mean, the initial thing was we didn't even bother about sub 10. We were just trying to break that first SA record from your hundred so. That foul, and then this season's just been an absolute carnage of going sub-10. I mean, Akani, Henrika, Grainke have done it twice, or well, Akani's done it twice in a matter of a week. Grainke's has blown out the water on Sunday, so it's been absolutely insane. 9.97, Matt. I mean, when you're sprinting, it is a matter of hundredth of a second, but what do you attribute this improvement to of late, I mean, and, and it's, it, it's one thing where you've got one athlete that's doing it, but we've got a few athletes who are now capable of running sub-10, and, and, and that obviously is showing signs that South African sprinting is on the right track. You know, Brad, forget about the sub-10. I think it's just a young bunch of sprinters who have got confidence. They, they're hungry. They want, to do, they want to be successful. So you look at someone like Wade for Kirk in the 400. You've got a Martha in the 200. You've got a Carney and you've got uh, Henrico Brankies in the 100. We've got so much talent at the moment. And I know sub-10 is this magical mark, but for Wade to have broken the African record, beaten the Olympic champion, in the Diamond League and gone sub-44, that was just absolutely insane. And it's greeting that sort of mentality. It's just going wild through. And if you follow the guys through on social media, they're talking to each other. They're encouraging each other. they like this little band of brothers that just really want to put athletics back on the on the right on, on the map. Huh? I mean, look, looking, you talk about the guys talking to each other. I, I heard an interview with uh, Akani earlier this week after Enrico Brankis broke the record on on the weekend and set that nine point nine seven. And he was saying he's quite surprised. He's happy that he did it, but he was surprised that he did. And, and that's a bit of a, a motivating factor. When I introduced you, I said it's a, a case of success breeds success. It's, it's healthy competition amongst these guys too, and they're pushing each other hard. They're loving it. It's, it's been good. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, thought, I was also surprised uh, when uh, Frankie's went 997. Uh, he came up this year, ran a 1006, then he ran a 1016. So I wasn't expecting that. And funny to see that come out of um, where was he running in Switzerland. That was just was, was brilliant news. I mean, that SA record had gone, and now suddenly you had a car he was going on. Almost in the fact going, hang on, I was meant to be the guy that was going to break the SA record. Now he's hungry to do it. He went out today and also equaled 997. Um, so it is that, that case of success breeds success. Huh? Matt, you, you ran a, a 10.08, I think was your personal best in, in your career. Uh, you, you talk about margins like that. How difficult is it and, and how much work goes into improving, like you say, uh, the way Enrico Brankies has improved from a, a 10.06 to a 9.97 in one season? That's a big jump. I mean, that is, that's almost a meter. And look, it's just, it comes with racing. And these guys, I mean, I've been watching, following quite closely, seeing how they train, what they do. Definitely training a lot smarter than what we were doing. And 
I just think it's give you a stat. Twenty two thousand and five, five guys went sub ten. Twenty fifteen, ten years later, we've got counting currently twenty three, twenty four guys that have gone sub ten. So it's definitely tracks are quicker, athletes are are, are trained better, uh, working on better techniques, better styles, and it's just contributing to a fast purple patch of sprinting and globally. It's 14 years since you guys won that gold in Edmonton. There's a World Champs coming up later this year. We've got uh, a nice little bunch of, of sprinters. Do you think we, we could be on for a repeat of that performance? I definitely think so. Look, the relay is one of those things. We can't count out the U.S. and Jamaican team. They're always going to be very sharp with their pattern. But I think South Africa has got a really good chance. You know, um, They're going to go into it full of confidence. This is the fastest we've ever had four runners globally. But you know, it's really just about them firstly getting through the individual event and then have the group training to get that pattern around. And I think the combination of the four, uh, where they run and how they run each position, I mean, that's, the first thing is who's the fourth runner. That's always got to be a concern. Um, does Wade come into it? Do we have an extra? Does Roster Engel, who, who's also run a good couple of times this year, does he come into the team? It's, it's still, no one kind of understands that dynamics of that team. But put those four guys together, Akani, and Brainkeys, and also, I mean, those three guys plus one more, it's really the guys going to light up the track, and I'm excited to see it. And then finally, just quickly, as uh, you watch these guys racing, does it make Matthew Kuhn want to make a comeback? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, you know what, Dave, what, what I've really have been enjoying is actually watching, not I love watching the racing. I mean, I'm rushing home now so I can get to, to watch Luzon tonight. And I mean, that's going to be an incredible lineup. So if you get to TV, you've got to watch it. I mean, in the hundreds, you've got the, one of the most competitive hundred meters we've ever had. So Powell, uh, Sasha Powell versus, uh, Gatlin versus, uh, Tyson Gay. We've got Elias and Sale and Wendy to run in the 400 hurdles, respective men and women. And the is going up in the 200. And he's pretty much going to be one of the race favorites. And last time he ran, he ran 20.04. So he's got a, you know, he, he has an opportunity for him to go sub-20. You know, again, a massive mile, milestone for South African sprinting. But for me, personally, I'm loving watching how these guys train. You know, and each one of them, from Wade to Anato to uh, Akani and Branke, have different techniques, different ways of looking at things from the scientific side of what the states are doing for Anato to, you know, really just focusing on how to run fast. You know, it's really, that's been the most incredible side to it. Uh, getting back on the track, uh, I don't see it, but maybe coaching. Uh, that, that's been the where I'm itching to sort of, wow, I'd love to get involved in that side. Uh. Brilliant stuff. Matthew Quinn, as always, great to catch up, and I uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Enjoying the athletics tonight. Thanks, Brad. Catch you soon, buddy. SAFM Sports Wrap. South Africa's news and information leader, and it was last Thursday that we spoke to him. It was uh, a couple of days before the start of the 2015 Tour de France. It's great to be able to catch up with him once again at the conclusion of uh, today's stage. It was stage six and another drama-filled one at the Tour de France today as well. Uh, team principal from Team Empton, Quebec, Douglas Ryder, joining us. Douglas, welcome back onto SAFM Sports Wrap. Your, your first week of the Tour is almost done. It's, uh, it's been a, a drama-filled one, to say the least. Yeah, I know, look at that. It's been crazy, very nervous bunches. You know, you've got 198 riders here, you know, trying to do it and trying to perform and do a result. And, yeah, it's been pretty scary and pretty crazy. We've had many, many, many riders crash. And then the big crash that 35 riders have taken out, so we had three guys in it. And, and, and then yesterday again, on the, you know, on the stage coming in, which was also wet and rainy, 
you know, we had Raynock and Anthony van Rensburg crash three times, and then he still comes 13th in the stage, trying to help Edvald, so it's an argon win the stage, and but today, you know, we were going for Edvald for the stage victory, he ended up 7th or 8th, I'm not 100% sure yet, but we had Daniel Tegleheim, not a rider from Eritrea, who just has been, has just, you know, won and or put on the, the King of the Mountains jersey for gaining the most points in the jersey. It's our first ever team jersey, he had it obviously in the Tour de France, which was a goal, big objective of ours was to try and win a stage. And then um, to to wear a leader's jersey, and we have a King of the Mountains jersey, and in six stages in this year's Tour de France, we've been, you know, four times in the top ten, with one tenth place, two fifth places, and a seventh or eighth today. I mean, our team is absolutely incredible the way it's, the way it's going at the moment. It's, it's, it's honestly a dream come true. Douglas, I'm sitting here with the biggest smile on my face. You have no idea. I'm looking at the results. I'm not sure if they are official, but uh, the ones I'm looking at right now has got uh, Edwald in at, at seventh on today's stage. You mentioned yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel. He had a, a fantastic ride today. He was in, the, in that breakaway. They were out uh, front for a long, long time today. Uh, but another big crash today as well, and I see some of the, the big names down. Uh, Tony Martin, who's in yellow, uh, is went down. So did uh, Vincenzo Nibali. I see Nairo Quintana was down as well. Any of, of of uh, MTN Quebec's riders involved in today's crash as well? No, we were fortunate enough not to be in the crash today, thank goodness, because we kind of have a very battered and bruised team at the moment. So we were very fortunate that, you know, that we didn't have any guys lying on the floor, which is awesome. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we were just in, actually just next to that crash when it happened. Reynard Janta van Rensburg was looking after Ed Vault, bringing him up the climb to the finish. And unfortunately, he just ran out of legs at the end. I mean, this, these are the best riders in the world. And, you know, for us to go, Again, in the top 10 today, you know, the guys are trying every day to do something significant. And, I, you know, I take my hats off to, to the whole behind-the-scenes team that, you know, works so hard to prepare the riders and for the riders for all the effort and, and hard work they put in. And, of course, thanks to our partners who, you know, who've made this possible. So, MTN, Samsung, Quebec, you know, so amazing, y'all. Fantastic. Fantastic. Just your, your first week on the tour, I know there's a big social responsibility drive behind the team, obviously with what Quebec does here back home with regards to bicycles. What's the response been like with, with the other teams? Obviously, you've been around them for a while, but uh, the general public, uh, the response that, that uh, Quebec have, have got at this year's tour? That's no, incredible. I mean, we had the 5,000 Bicycle Change Lives campaign that, been, that we focused on to try and you know, put 5,000 students on bicycles. And during the Tour de France, we just over 3,000 bicycles done already, which is just incredible. I mean, that's almost six, or just over six million rand that's been raised. And, you know, so this team is, you know, it's just an incredible team with an incredible project and incredible charity, you know, behind it. And it gives our riders extra motivation knowing that they can, you know, they're racing for something that's far bigger than themselves. And, you know, they can empower other people's lives. You know, they're living their dreams racing the Tour de France and they, you know, can help others realize their dreams by providing them mobility and transportation and access to education and, and many other things. So it's an incredible team with an incredible project. We, we Obviously, the whole world, we want to get behind this, you know, even if you put one euro, one rand, one dollar, one whatever, you know, to contribute towards, you know, the Bicycle Change Lives campaign, that would just be incredible and, uh, and make a bigger impact just in support of the team. Okay, then just finally, you, you mentioned how, how much it means to, to everyone in the peloton, not just the leaders, but everyone wants to win a stage or get into a, a leader's jersey at some stage, and, and uh, uh, the ultimate goal is obviously to win this thing. Uh, the Tour de France is the biggest of the Grand Tours. You guys have ridden in the Giro. How big a step up? I mean, the Giro is big, but this one's obviously the one that everyone wants. Is there a big step up as far as the amount of competition and how tough this one is compared to the Giro? Yeah, look, it is very, very, very tough. I mean, you've, in the other Grand Tours, you've got riders, 
you know, that are going for certain stages or going for the overall or preparing for another event. You know, this is, you know, the Giro is slightly different. It's a bit for the Italians. It's incredibly huge. And the, but yeah, I mean, the Tour de France is massive. Everybody knows that if you wear a jersey, you win a stage, come top 10 in the stage, you pretty much can, you know, your career is pretty set because the best 198 riders in the world are here. So it does step it up a level. The media exposure, I mean, there's over 2,000 media here. If, I, if I'm standing in, I'm standing behind the media center where Daniel, for the last 25 minutes, has been interviewed by 15 to 16 people already. It's just exceptional. I mean, so this is the big one, and this is what everybody wants, and that's why everybody races super hard. So for Daniel to wear a jersey and for us to be in the top 10 four times out of six is exceptional. It really is at the highest level in cycling. You guys are absolutely amazing flying the flag, and, and we're loving watching. Those uh, jerseys stick out of the peloton like mad. You can spot them from a mile away, and we're absolutely loving it here in South Africa, and we're sending tons of positive vibes. Please pass on our best to the entire team. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I must I must just say that you can't believe how the support motivates the team. And so, you know, people, you know, the things that they say, the messages that they send, honestly, they do get to the riders, and, and, and it's, incredibly motivating and and they're incredibly proud to to be representing Africa you know as a continent in this Tour de France as a team so thanks very much SAFM Sports Wrap you're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap don't forget if you'd like to be in touch all you need to do is pop us an SMS 34701 remember SMS is charged at 2 Rand you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook be in touch there just search for SAFM Sports Wrap well, crickets, the one-day international series gets underway between Bangladesh and the Proteas tomorrow, and Hashim Amla will be the stand-in one-day international captain, as A.B. de Villiers is not available for this series. And Amla says uh, they'll draw a great deal of confidence from the recent Tunnel T20 series win, as well as previous tours to Bangladesh as they head into tomorrow's match. He also believes that uh, they take a whole lot of momentum following the Tunnel series victory into this series. We've been here quite a few times over the last few years. I think everybody's kind of gained the experience playing in the subcontinent and I've been fortunate to get some runs against Bangladesh. Having played here as well, got used to the conditions quite quickly. So I think we kind of draw that type of experience to take us to the series. And it really helps that the T20 guys did extremely well. So I think for the rest of the team, they come with some confidence as well as a real experience of what, hap- of what happened a couple of days ago they can take into the one-day game. Bangladesh have won 10 of their last 11 one-day internationals at home. The Tigers have claimed one-day international series wins over Zimbabwe, Pakistan and India, and they'll be hoping to carry that confidence into this series against the Proteas. Amla says they'll give the Bangladeshis the respect they deserve. Well, certainly they're a team that has been doing well over the last couple of months or maybe a year. I think they, they won their record a lot better than the T20 record. I mean, we're giving Bangladesh all the respect they deserve, certainly over that recent form. Bangladesh having won the last two series when they've been playing good cricket. As I said, we'll probably give them just as much respect as we give everybody else. The Proteas have only had two days to prepare for the one-day series after completing the 2-0 series victory on Tuesday. But Amla says they're all ready to rumble tomorrow. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think everybody's had enough preparation. A couple of us who have come in for the ODIs, we had good training sessions over the last two or three days. And I think the T20 guys have had enough training, so I don't think they have any factor in preparation. With some of the senior players being rested, including Dale Stane, Mornay Morkel and Vernon Philander, the ODI series will also be without A.B. de Villiers. Amla says it's a great opportunity for some of the fringe players to put their hands up and see what's available for the future. In terms of our bowling attack, there's a lot of new guys, you know, Dale and Mornay. 
Adele's not around, Vernon as well. So it gives a chance for guys like Rabada, Chris Morris, and Kyle Abbott to give them a chance to get a few games under their belt. So I think that's really exciting for us. Obviously, AB's not around, so it gives the better another opportunity. So I think this type of thing is very healthy, especially after a long season and with a long season to come. I think we're going to see some fresh faces, and I think that's really nice. Amla also reiterated that uh, De Villiers, or the loss of De Villiers, will leave a huge hole in the South African batting lineup. De Villiers is not playing due to a slow over eight. He'll face a one match suspension for tomorrow's game, and he's also in South Africa as his wife and him prepare for the birth of their baby. Yeah, definitely. I mean, who wouldn't miss David De Villiers in the team? But things like this, you know, we obviously wish him well with his wife's due to give birth, so certainly family comes first in our team. But it gives somebody else an opportunity. I think on a tour like this, especially after having had a long season and guys have played a lot of cricket I think it's really really nice for Abi to get a break number one and number two it gives us a chance to have a look at somebody else the team will miss him I mean he's probably one of the best fielders in the world he's definitely the best batter in the world so we will miss him but it's a good chance for someone else what is going to be a tough challenge uh, against Bangladesh in difficult conditions Amla's called on the Proteas batting order to take more responsibility when out in the middle in this series it's always a responsibility on the batsmen. Certainly in the subcontinent, we know it's difficult for batters to come in and just start to play their games. We're hoping that whoever gets the opportunity to get into the game kind of bats as big as possible. Germany is a world-class former over many, many years. Fadji as well, whenever he's played, he's managed to make good contributions for us. Whatever the team is, I think the responsibility falls on the batters, whether whether you have AB devoted in the team or not. Well, certainly with the world's best player not in your team, you hope that a lot of us can rally around and certainly put in some big performances to get us to the winning way. With new rules adopted in One Day International Cricket as of the 5th of July, Hashim Amla believes that 50-over cricket is in for an interesting transition period as the teams also start their four-year plans building up to the next World Cup. A maximum of five players will now be allowed outside of the inner circle during the last 10 overs. Amla says he believes that new innovations are there to make the game more interesting in the long run. ODI cricket, I think now there'll be a lot of focus off the ODIs because there's no real World Cup only in four years' time. The way I see it is ODI cricket at the moment is going to be a lot more of a transitional phase. Suddenly there's new rules come in uh, with the ODIs. Every team's going to be trying to work out quite quickly what styles to play with to get a winning way with these new rules, which is one aspect. And the other aspect is just going to be a transition of getting the right team for four years' time. And everyone's excited. Suddenly the coaches are very excited to get the ball rolling again and to get into some hard cricket. Don't forget you can catch live updates with Natalie Jamanis, uh, not just in tomorrow's game, but for the rest of the series as well, right here on SAFM.